Jesse Arter is the spouse of a Virginia firefighter who died by suicide on December 26, 2017. Jesse's going to discuss signs that might have been missed, the roller coaster of emotions that she has had over the years, and how she continued on after his passing. You're listening to First Responder Bridge, the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. Today, we're joined by Jesse Arter, but I wanted to take a moment before we really get into a conversation with Jesse. Just to remind you, if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend about us, leave us a five-star review, and if you would make sure to go to firstrespondersbridge.org and click on the blue Donate Now button, you can become a bridge builder with First Responders Bridge. Jesse, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking time to come on and talk and and hopefully educate our listeners and, and um, allow us a little bit of glimpse into your life. Hey guys, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate being asked to do this. It's kind of a big deal. A little nerve wracking, I'll be honest. It'll just be a really cool conversation, you know, just really laid back. But um, Jesse, we were just talking on our last episode about how we appreciate people who are willing to be vulnerable and, and open up about you know, things that have really changed their lives. And that's how you, we can really begin to break this stigma. So thank you so much in advance for taking the time to do this. This is really helping to take steps to break the stigma. So thank you for doing that. You're so welcome. And you know what, if it can help just one person, it was worth it. Amen. Jesse, can we start, uh, we share a little bit about yourself and, uh, just allow our listeners to learn a little bit about you. So my name is Jesse Arter. I was married to a career firefighter that worked in Virginia and we lived in Pennsylvania. And I am now a suicide widow. My husband died by suicide December of 2017. And I am a single mom to our daughter. She is now six. She was when my husband died and I'm just a single mom trying to make it. I've now had another kid and my big thing is I just want to try to help people um, in terms of mental health because I think there is definitely a need in the first responder community and even in terms of being your significant other in basically the line of duty because you guys are first responders. Like we need to support you at home as well. Yeah, no doubt. We appreciate that. Could you, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about JR and what he was like as a person and how you guys met? So JR was your typical Pennsylvania country boy. Um, he loved the fire service. He did anything and everything he could outside. He loved to drink. He loved to party. He loved to dance. He loved to hunt anything you can possibly think of outside. He loved that, which was a completely different lifestyle for me because I grew up in Northern Virginia, which is very much the city is what he would call it. And we met in 2014, actually on a dating app and it was plenty of fish, which I don't know if it's still out there, but um, I've heard that it was very shady and we got really lucky and ended up working out for us. 
That's awesome. Was he someone uh, that always wanted to be a firefighter? Ever since he was a kid, he wanted to be a firefighter. He started volunteering as soon as he could. And that was actually before he could drive. So whenever calls went out in the small town he lived in, he would ride his bicycle to the call. Oh, oh my gosh. And he would get on the radio and say bicycle 27 en route. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. So he'd kill me if I told you guys that, but whatever. Um, <laughs> he's not here to fight me. And then he, he volunteered for a long time and then he went career and he just, his, his whole life, his heart and soul was in firefighting. Would you mind sharing some of the challenges, uh, that you faced as a family, as a couple, um, and that, uh, he maybe brought home with him as a firefighter? So I think that our relationship was very unique because early on, I didn't really know what it was like to be married to a firefighter. I never in a million years ever thought I would marry a firefighter. And we sort of had that agreement that he would only tell me about calls if he wanted to tell me about calls and I would never listen to the radio. And all of that being said, I think he did that to try to protect me, which in hindsight, I think that maybe he should have opened up a little bit more, but you know, you can't change the past. So I think that his job was very stressful. We lived in Pennsylvania and he drove to Virginia and he ended up breaking his wrist on the job. So it was technically a workman's comp claim. And that put a lot of stress on our relationship and on our marriage. I was pregnant with our daughter at the time and he couldn't work. He was out of work. He had to have surgery. It was a whole big thing. And then he couldn't do anything that he wanted to do outside of work that was enjoyable to him because he couldn't do anything with his wrist. So that sort of took a toll on him mentally because I think that he defined himself as his career. Mm. And then we had our daughter and it was just very stressful. We had a newborn baby. We were both working in Virginia and living in Pennsylvania. Um, He did not tell me about any specific calls really but I could tell that there was some stuff that would bother him here and there now how would you say that JR dealt with the stress of the job how did he cope and you know go go throughout handling that oh he didn't he didn't at all and if he tried to it was through drinking because where he's from in Pennsylvania they don't talk about their problems they don't go to counseling they don't seek out help they go to the bar they have a few beers They talk to their buddies that are firefighters as well. And then they just bury it. They bury whatever is bothering them. Hmm. Now, did, uh, did his department offer any sort of peer support or counseling to the firefighters who may be struggling? I know you said they kept a lot of that in, but did they even offer anything like that? So at the time of his death, they did have the EAP, which I'm sorry, I don't even know what that stands for. And the EAP was fantastic because they actually offered help to me as well. Um, But shortly after his death, that really, he was the first person in his department to die by suicide. And his death really pushed them to hire a behavioral health coordinator, which that person, that individual is actually the lead of their peer support team. And their peer support team 
is made up of volunteers and career because they are a combined fire system and they help whoever needs help in the county. Whereas I've been told the EAP was not always great about responding and the EAP was not first responders that understood what they saw and what they went through. So yes, they have amped up their counseling, their mental health, stigma, all of those things. And they also have something called the center of excellence. And I do know somebody personally that went through it after my husband's death. And he is so much better than he was before he went. That's great. Uh, sometimes it seems like, uh, the fire service is, is leading the way in that. Um, I guess it depends really what part of the country you're in, but you know, um, when things like these happen, sometimes we have an opportunity to look in the rearview mirror, kind of. And in hindsight, were there any signs or, or changes in behavior that um, you think now may have been indicators that he was struggling? So his drinking, definitely, because he started drinking a lot. He would have a coffee in the morning and then, well, this was, of course, if he wasn't working. And if he, he would have a cup of coffee and then he would drink a beer and he would drink beer the rest of the day. So his drinking got really bad. And then in terms of him and I, he just got very combative. He was very angry. He was very impatient. We argued a lot. And I think that everything was just compounding. And I just thought, oh, it's because we have a baby. Oh, we both live in Virginia and live in Pennsylvania. Our life is stressful right now. Sure. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Um, Jesse, I can imagine the roller coaster of emotions that you had after JR's passing. And what, whatever you're comfortable sharing, did you find yourself angry at JR for doing this? Or what were some of the things that you were feeling at this time following his death? I think anger is an understatement. Hell yes, I was angry at him. <laughs> mm. And I, I still am. Um, I'm not trying to make light of being angry, but that is probably one of the big emotions. Mm. And I don't know if you guys know this, but anger stems from hurt, fear, or frustration. It can be one or all three of those. Um, sadness, uh, fear, because I didn't know how I was going to make it with a baby. Um, I mean, I still have my moments that I'm angry and I'm almost six years out from his death. So I think that that's a completely normal response to it. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I, I don't know if there's any anything that, that we could say that, hey, that's abnormal. I mean, I, th I think that is a completely normal response. Um, how do you find yourself, in the six years, how do you find yourself coping and healing since that date? Well, there's been a lot of stuff that I've done. And there's been a lot of stuff that I'm not proud of. I think that, you know, we can put coping mechanisms in two different categories, positive and negative. And in the early years, I definitely took part in some negative coping mechanisms. For example, heavy drinking so I could sleep. Not proud of that, but I think it's also a part of the process. But one of the big things that I've done that I'm a huge advocate for is counseling. And I started counseling right away. They gave me eight sessions through the EAP. Uh, with the county that he worked for. And then I found a therapist on my own and I am still going. And I think that it is, it's so helpful because not only does it validate the feelings that 
I had regarding his death and the trauma, but I also think that it validates the feelings of the stress that I have now being a single mom. You know, I have two kids. I've had another kid since my husband died and it's just life is very stressful living in the dirt that got slung up with his death. That's awesome. And Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. No, that's okay. So counseling is a big deal and I pray a lot. I'm sure the man upstairs is so sick of hearing from me. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I flicked him off a few times. I didn't go to church for a really long time because I was so angry at God too. I was angry. I don't know if all of your listeners believe in God, but I personally do. And I just didn't understand how could God take my husband from me? So I prayed and prayed and prayed. I never turned my back on him. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I have finally gotten to the point that I've accepted my husband's death. I would never wish for it to happen again, but I hope that he is finally at peace because who am I to tell him that he had to stay here if he was in that much pain? How can we help people in crisis if we ourselves are in crisis? Hi, I'm Mick Yanger with First Responders Bridge. It may shock you to learn that more first responders are dying by suicide than all line of duty deaths combined. This is unacceptable. First responders are willing to risk our own lives for anyone in need, but now they need your help. Please visit firstrespondersbridge.org, and by giving only $9.11 a month, you can help a first responder on their journey from hurting to healing. And, you know, here's the other thing about counseling, too, that's so great, is that you can work with any counselor who you think best works with you, right? And that's the one thing we say at the bridge is, you don't have to stick with the first counselor you you meet, you know, that they may not mean they're a bad counselor. It may just be that they're not the right counselor for you. Right. And you can work with any type of counselor you want. Right. Like you said, if, if you're a believer, you can find a counselor who works you know, with believers who specializes in that. If you're not, then you can just find more of a secular counselor. Like you can work with who you think is going to best help you to work through your situation. So uh, thank you for speaking on that. I know counseling is such a beneficial thing, especially for people who want to just figure out, you know, how to work through their feelings, how to understand the things that they're feeling. It's it's such it's such an important thing, right? Absolutely. And also one more thing I want to add about counseling is it's just like dating. You know, if you go out with somebody and you don't again, it's the same thing with counseling. If you don't jive with your therapist, just find a new one. It's just like dating. Jesse, I'll uh, I'll just say now, thank you for being, uh, I think, so real. Um, I know, I know, we we listen when when our listeners uh, share with us what they do and don't like about the podcast. Uh, I think it's mostly when people are honest and real, and um, you know, I for one, I I appreciate. You know, earlier you said I don't have much of a filter, but you know. Honesty and reality, I think, helps people more um, than sugarcoating things or, you know, kind of beating around the bush and not not saying what you're thinking. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, when Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, no problem. When, when JR passed, did you notice that, did the firefighter community um, come together to support you after that? They did. And they were phenomenal. Um, 
they came to my house, they cleaned, they cooked, they put the plow on my four wheeler. They offered to bring in firewood because our primary heat source at the time was a wood stove. They offered to make kindling for the wood stove, all of that stuff. And, um, they were, they were great in the, in the time immediately following his death. But as time has gone on, the support from the fire department has dwindled. Yeah, I think, and you know, we're, we've experienced that here in our local community also that when there's a critical incident or a really important event in first responder communities, that support is sometimes it's like off the charts. It's like overwhelming, um, initially. And then as the weeks and months go by, it kind of dwindles. And, um, do you still feel like you're part of the firefighter community? Mm, I'm going to say yes and no. So in terms of my husband's department, no. However, my son's dad, my boyfriend is also a firefighter who knew I had a type, right? And um, so I'm sort of in the firefighter community there, right? Just a little bit. However, I do think that departments are are better about mental health, but I almost think that they need to have a death liaison or something like that, that keeps in touch with the families of the firefighter or police officer that died, whether it was line of duty, whether it was suicide, it doesn't matter the cause of death, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that they need to have a liaison that reaches out to them around the anniversary of their death or even like six months in between. Hey, how are you guys doing? Is there anything that you need to help us feel a little bit more connected? That's great. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think, I mean, any department really has, like you said, they're great at reaching out, you know, right after the event and making food and stuff right immediately following. But I mean, once it's about a year after that, you just start to see the the connections start to dwindle a little bit. So something like that, if if departments could start to incorporate some kind of, okay, we need to reach out to these people, you know, to just, like you said, just check in how they're doing. All it takes is a phone call, right? All all it takes is a card, just to check in that Absolutely. all that something like that small can make such a big difference. Absolutely. And, and still make us feel connected. I mean, there was over 500 people at my husband's funeral and I can count on one hand how many people from that fire department still keep in contact with us. Wow. And it's wow. literally like on Facebook or if I call them, they pick up. It's not very much of them reaching out to see how we're doing and, And I also think that when somebody dies, everybody has an idea of how you're supposed to grieve and how you're supposed to live. And I think that there are some people out there that have not agreed with the fact that I have decided to move forward in my life. You never move on from your husband's suicide. You move forward. And there are some people that just cannot fathom that idea. And unfortunately, those people have been cut out of my life, whether on their end or my end, because I'm not going to stop living just because my husband died by suicide. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think you can. No. Jesse, you talk about how, you know, even when traveling, you would stop in the fire departments and ask them how they're, what they're doing for the mental health of their firefighters. Right. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that and then how you were, how you were received at those fire departments and what that experience was like? So I did it in the first few years that my daughter was little because she was still a baby and anywhere that we would travel to, we would just stop in the fire department and I would say, Hey, we just want to take a tour of your fire department. 
And then I would blast them and ask them what they do for mental health. And then I would give them a brief synopsis of our story. And it was well received at some departments. You know, they opened up about what their department does for mental health or incidents that they've worked through on their own, et cetera, et cetera. And then other departments, they were kind of like, oh, wow, what, like, what's this chick doing here? Let's get her out. <laughs> because I think that there's that there's that good old boy system, right? The old school firefighters, they don't believe in getting help. They don't believe in counseling. They don't believe on going medication on medication because, you know, they have anxiety or they have depression. And then there's like the new age firefighters that are going to talk about their problems. They're going to seek peer support and they're going to help themselves and try to heal. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, yeah, you can see that in all first responder communities, I think. People that um, uh, address things differently and people that really, you know, they've got that kind of old school mentality. Uh, Very much so. I often say there's no substitute for experience. Good experience, bad experience, there's not a substitute because you learn so many lessons. Um, based on your experience, what advice would you give to a first responder or significant other that's noticing changes in their mental health? So I think as a significant other, just be an advocate to try to support your person. You know, there are some people that are not going to get help. Well, if they're not going to get help, how can you help them at home? Or is there, they need a hobby. Do they need to, I don't know, go running. Everybody copes with things differently. So just try to help them any way that you can. Unfortunately, in my situation, I don't know if I would have known if my husband would have sought help. And then the other thing is for a first responder is just, just understand how hard it is for your spouse or significant other to support you at home when you can't even help yourself with some of the trauma that you've dealt with because it manifests in different ways. And I understand if you've had a bad day at work, however, it is not bad to get help because I promise you in the end, you're going to come out better for it. Yeah. Will you say that one more time, Jesse? That's really important what you just said. It is not bad to get help because you're going to come out better on the other side for it. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. That's, uh, do you think you would have thought that um, six years ago? Would you have thought that? No, no. Yeah. So no. experience, right? Yes. And I, I would hate for anybody else to live this life. I would hate for any other couple to experience this because it sucks. Even six years later, I can tell you it sucks. Appreciate your uh, being real. As we, we kind of uh, wind down a little bit here, um, what are your some of your hopes, I guess, for first responder communities and awareness? I guess, you know, we talked a little bit about old school versus new school and trains of thought. What are, if you could share, what are some of your hopes for those first responder communities as it relates to mental health? My hope is that it, it gets better. I think the fortunate thing of coming out of COVID is that we are in a mental health crisis right now. And I think that the first responder community is in a mental health crisis as well. 
And I just think that these departments need to help support their people. I think that the departments need to help support the spouses of their people. And I think together, we just need to keep on keeping on because we are making strides in the firefighter community. The year that JR died, there were more suicides. There were more firefighters that died by suicide than line of duty death combined. And I can't say the same for law enforcement because I know those numbers are still pretty high. But I just think we just need to keep plugging away and changing the mentality. And it's okay. There is privacy if you get help. Your business doesn't have to be aired on Facebook or any other social media platform. It's okay. Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time again and the vulnerability to share with us. This is the the big way that we can begin to break the stigma. So thank you for that. And as uh, as Greg said, your realness. So thank you so much. <laughs> you guys are so welcome. And before we finish, I want to do our praise of the day. And this one comes out of Milwaukee, where a dispatcher, Kiana Wood Smith, was able to walk or was able to talk down a man threatening suicide. And the call came from the man's girlfriend, and she told Wood Smith that he had a gun pointed at his head. And she was she managed to speak with the man and eventually talk him into laying down the gun. And then the police arrived and were able to get him the help that, that he needed. So that is a great job on that dispatcher's part who was able to help talk this man uh, down. So great job. Great job to her. And Jesse, again, thank you so much for taking the time, and we appreciate you having a conversation with us. Jesse, thanks for thanks for putting your head down and moving forward. And uh, you talked about that, and we we appreciate it. We're um, I think it's important to say you're not alone. And thanks for coming to First Responders Bridge, our very first retreat. Well, thank you, Greg and Noah, and uh, you guys are doing good work. So thank you for what you're doing as well. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. All right, guys, we will see you next time on First Responders Bridge, the podcast. And as always, make sure to give us a five-star review and follow us on all our platforms so we can continue taking first responders from hurting to healing.